Welcome to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we discuss what it takes to create a sustainable long-term online business in today's fast-moving environment. We talk with industry experts and freelancers alike to find out what it takes to build and manage a location-independent business. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. This is a podcast about online business, entrepreneurship, and helping others who are interested in creating or currently on their journey into the remote work and digital nomad lifestyle. We talk about freelancing, building online businesses and e-commerce with a variety of guests from around the globe. My goal here is to share inspiring stories and practical advice on how to build and manage a location-independent business. I'm your host, Adam Finan. Very excited to bring you today's guest. His name is Danny Page, and he has a wealth of experience in building and managing remote teams. Danny, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and all the things that you're doing? Hey, Adam, great to to join you here. Thank you so much for um, inviting me into the show. Coming to you live from Cebu City, um, in the Philippines, as you can tell, I'm I'm an American. Uh, I'm from Southern California, um, but my company, which has a distributed team of more than fifty people around the world, really just believes in hiring the best people, and and we have an incredible support team um, down here in the Philippines, as well as some operations managers that, uh, that that really do an exceptional job. So we had our Christmas party last night. Um, unfortunately for everyone and those in the surrounding area, I had to sing. Um, which was pretty terrible. I really, I really feel bad for for all parties involved. But uh, yeah, I mean, just to talk about Study Soup, um, we have a marketplace for university students in the U.S. and Canada to sell notes and study guides to their classmates. Um, we went through the 500 Startups Accelerator in San Francisco. Very typical sort of tech route to go in in that regard. Um, but we are certainly an atypical team. We're fully distributed. Um, I live about eight months of the year in Europe. I know we're going to talk about that. Um, a little bit later, but it's it's just an absolute pleasure to be uh, to be connecting with you here, Adam, on the show. I listened to uh, you know a few episodes and and uh, certainly grabbed a couple LinkedIn connections from there and a lot of valuable information. So I'm excited to be on, on the other end of the the other end of the mic headphone relationship. No, no, uh, thank you for coming on. Like you, you have a wealth of experience, and like you said, you're over in the Philippines. You're visiting your team, and I think this is so crucial for uh, a business that does manage remote employees as somebody who works remote as well that it's important to have those times where your team come together and where you can you know all join together and align on your mission and then you head off and everybody you know they're aligned with the brand and the business and what your goals are moving forward so how important do you feel that that is when you're working with your remote employees when you can get together yeah it's just a a price you pay right you a company is going to save on overhead in general um, and, and also in terms of salary, like you, you will save on operating expenses if you have a fully distributed operation. You won't have to pay for an office. You won't have to pay for parking. You won't have to pay for utilities. Um, you can start to hire people. You know, if we hire a developer, which we haven't done this specifically, but if a company hires a developer in San Francisco or hires a developer equally skilled in Des Moines, chances are they're going to pay the developer in Des Moines a lot less. So um, you have to understand, though, that there is a a greater expense involved in, um, you know, getting remote teams together. I, kind of the the benchmark is, you know, one year you get everybody together. And, and we try and do that, um, you know, with our support team down here specifically. Uh, I, and I think that's important for a company within reason to get together once a year. One of the things, though, Adam, that is – 
uh, really important too that I don't think is done as much is just ad hoc meetups. Um, putting together the budget for you know me to go fly and hang out with the COO in Austin, Texas, when I was in California, um, where he's frequently based, or you know just pulling small clusters of the domestic team together or of the international team together whenever it's financially possible. It doesn't have to be this like big team meetup with like trust falls and, and all of that or anything. Like just get everybody together for a couple days and, and really allow them to bond in that way. No, oh, that's cool. So uh, with the backstory to this, so like you were, you said you went through to San Francisco, you went through the 500 startups in San Fran with the initial like study super, such a fascinating business model. And you, you know, something I wish I had when I was in college. And, you know, at what point did you decide that, you know, when you were building this up, that it was going to, you're going to hire remote employees? And was, was that an initial part of the, you know, the business model? Or was it something that developed as the team grew and you needed more, uh, you know, more hands on deck, essentially, to help manage? Well, Adam, I have one question for you first, okay? And you said you would have loved this service in college. Are you, would you have been a note taker or a note buyer? Because I think everybody falls into one of those two categories. Oh, it depends what day it is. Uh, <laughs> depends on what you were doing the night before. But no, I hear what you're saying because I, I was reading it and I was like, oh, I would have definitely paid people for their notes when I was in college for some classes. Things like I hated law. I used to do oh, like the hospitality law and travel law as part of my oh just you know boring and pain second it's like can i not just buy the notes off somebody and the lectures would be like if you don't come to class you're not getting the notes you know, like. <laughs> absolutely well i mean you know the value proposition for students in the u.s is is pretty powerful to join as elite note takers you can make up to 500 dollars a semester uploading your notes so while you and i probably would have been buyers um you know there are a lot of note takers tens of thousands a year um, that, that join our platform and, and make money instead of uh, basically making sure that students like ourselves who, yeah, perhaps needed a little help after what we did the night before, um, you know, capitalizing on that. And it really bokes, works both ways. We help students um, to, you know, that deserve to be earning uh, for the time they're spending studying. And then we help students that, that need help with the study materials themselves. So, um so b back to your question, um, you know, I, I did not found the company. I'm senior head of operations. Um, I joined about a year in. And, you know, I think at first it was just a financial decision. It, it was, um, you know, we have an idea of how this company can grow, the type of revenue we can generate. And, you know, let's just have at first everyone work where they want to work. And, and by the time I came on, within about six months of my time there, it was very clear to everyone that yes, we liked working with each other so much. We like spending time together when possible. But if we were all in an office every day, day after day, we would probably kill one another. Um, you know, we are uh, the type of people that work really well in our separate corners, come together, collaborate, short, purposeful meetings, and then go out and execute. And, um, you know, so it, things really came together in a in an organic way. We built a support team um, about over three years ago now um, down here because college students, they need to be reminded of things from time to time. We built a support team um, down here in, in the Philippines um, and, and we just had we just saw this team creating such incredible results for us, so accountable, so committed to the business. That, that now we have operations managers, marketing managers around the world, including right here. And, um, 
that did happen really organically as well. But, uh, you know, here we are, we've got about 50 people in the team around the world. Oh, that's awesome. In in episode two, I spoke with um, Jonathan, who also has his offices in India, um, Philippines and Miami, I believe. So, you know, he has a distributed team as well. And, you know, one of the interesting things was he was saying when he was going into these markets that the first thing, first person that he hired was the project managers. He's like, we can't be on the you know, day-to-day micromanaging at the, at the you know, the, the technician level, the implementation level. So they had to hire managers first. So when you were going, you know, when you decided you were going to, you know, hire these Filipino staff and you were going to build operations over in the Philippines, did you use like a company or, you know, did you work with somebody to help you get set up? And did you build an office or did you just build a remote, you know, like a remote scenario where everybody can work from home? Can you speak to, I suppose, how you approached moving into the Philippines, if you get, if you, if you, if you get what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, um, you know, I wasn't involved with that necessarily when I arrived at the company, a lot of it had already been done. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to get too far into the specifics because frankly, I, I don't, I don't even know exactly how it worked, but, but here's what I will say, um, is that whether you want to, you know, create a software house in the Ukraine and have that service your your company in in North America or in in Western Europe, the British Isles, or a support team in um, the Philippines, or an operations team in India, you, you really need a person that that acts as sort of like a fulcrum, right? Like they are a recruiter, they are a wizard with budgets, and they can help you spin up and structure your operation, and also teach you teach the company that is is building this outsourced operation how to manage expectations um, you know what what the customs are uh, in terms of communication and and those expectations um, you know one of the things I'm really emphasizing with my team now is especially the department heads is hey I really want you to build the work schedule where you will be most effective and culturally in in a place like the Philippines that's just not normal right like it is, I, I clock in at this time. I leave at this time. I work really hard during those eight and a half, nine hours in between, depending on breaks. But but I'm working with them specifically to to build their their own to build the schedule where they do their best work. And and whenever you spin up a, a new outsource operation, that is absolutely crucial. It is absolutely priceless. Yeah, definitely. We spoke a little bit about that just kind of before the call where we were talking about when you're in an office environment and I've been in environments, not just office, but, you know, it can also be out on site or things like that, where if you have a negative and and toxic environment, then it really affects your performance. And as somebody who's hiring staff, you know, be it remote or be it in-house, you want to try and create as positive of an experience so people can perform at their best. And like you're saying there, Allowing them to choose to a certain degree when they do their best work is, you know, you're giving them the opportunity then to, you know, prioritize and, and hopefully deliver for you in the best way possible by allowing them, you know, the the, the autonomy to choose um, when, they, when it is that they prefer to do the writing work, when it is that they prefer to do the financial side of things. And that can really help. And it also, people appreciate that as well, instead of, you know, landing in on a Monday morning and you know that the first thing you have to do is the thing you hate the most. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, and that's something we'll continue to talk about here is kind of traditional companies versus remote companies and, and sort of these new age startups and the approach a lot are taking, specifically those that, that do not work in an office. I, I don't understand how, uh, you know, we continue to 
undervalue employee performance and and you know basically companies assume and and tell their employees well you're going to do the best work from 10 in the morning until 7 at night or from 9 in the morning until 6 at night and that's when people do their best work and that's just not the reality of how people uh, need to work today or should work today. And and personal performance is something that I study constantly um, within myself. And I think a lot of remote employees do, a, a, a lot of remote workers, I should say, really do. Right, Adam? Like we're always thinking about, okay, if I go to this coffee shop for three hours, I know I'm going to really hammer that out. And it's just not something that happens in a traditional model as much. So um, as a manager, you really just need to work with your people and, and ensure that that they're thinking about when they'll do their best work. And, and also, um, you know, you take some time to uh, help them along that path. It's hard to, it's hard to really initiate that on your own. But Adam, I mean, with all you do, man, you got a podcast, you run your own firm on the side, you work for Shopify, like you have to be a super efficient guy. And if you were in one place working from, let's say nine to seven every day, like you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing now, right? I go crazy, absolutely crazy. I know people talk about work work from home, right. you know, it's all great. Like it can wear on you because you don't talk with other humans beyond, but, but in a screen, you know, you lack that social interaction. And like you're saying, I do like, I go to a coffee shop almost every day for between two and three hours and I have, to, you know, I go to the gym as well. And that breaks up my day and it allows me, you know, there's certain things I like doing there. I go in, I get my coffee, I stick in my headphones, crank up my music and I just bust through certain types of work that I know I need to do. And, and that's the best environment for me to do it. Obviously recording a podcast, I'm at home, it's quiet, there's good internet, it's reliable. I have my mic, you know, <laughs> there's different scenarios for different right. types of work. That one you need. Yeah. But right. I mean, when you're talking about, uh, you know, allowing people. So I have a virtual assistant. She's in Davo in the Philippines. Her name is Kim. And, you know, she helps me with a lot of things. And she is fabulous. And I, I found her years ago. She helped me with some writing work. And like e even she, like I've only recently rehired her. She was in college. So I let her do her college thing. You know what I mean? And I just moved on and worked with different freelancers. And, and now she's finished and she was looking back for work. So she's back with me again. And just like you were speaking today about, the, you know, oh, when do you want me online and when do you want me to work? I'm like, there's a Trello board. Here's all the things I need to do. Here's all the videos showing you what I need done. Just do it. Just do it. Like, I Let's don't do know. It. Give me maybe a bit of crossover, like, you know, maybe two days a week where we have an hour where we can message or have a call. But besides that, it's like the work's all there. I don't care. Just, <laughs> just do it, please. You know, uh, I'm not micromanaging you. I, I don't want to screen recordings of your timestamps. I'm like, no, I'm not that person at all. Just here's what i need to do we've put we've agreed a price if you do it in less time then that's fair enough <laughs> you know it's like i'm not gonna <laughs> yeah and, and i think that's the reality of why remote companies are seeing um you know such a a uh massive volume of applicants and remote jobs are hard to find and uh voluntary turnover at remote companies is about 40 percent less than what it is at at uh, in office companies. And, and it's this, this core idea, Adam, you know what, it's not about being able to go and work from your laptop in Bali. Like, yes, that's fun. But that's, that's, you know, on, on the digital nomad side. Um, but for remote workers specific, which by the way, I love living around the world traveling while I work. So I, I kind of fall into, I kind of fall into both cohorts. But to me, it's this very simple um, human emotion, which is trust me to 
live how I want and do what I want and I will deliver exceptional work. And I think that's what, you know, these remote companies are doing is rebuilding trust between employer and employee. And why not? I mean, if you're paying someone $200,000 a year, you're not going to trust them to, to get done what they, um, you know, to get done what they're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's the most exciting thing that, that about remote work is that trust. It's, yeah, it's definitely a shift in mentality and a shift in perspective. There are a lot of companies now that, that are doing, you know, allowing employees to work remote. Like, you know, I work with Shopify and we have a large number of remote employees. You know, I don't know what the percentage is of the company, but I'd say it's probably, you know, 40%-ish, you know, that are remote. And like you're saying, it's the trust thing, you know, it's it's like you're an adult. They trust you. Dress like you want, you know, just work. Well, when you want, within reason, if you know what I mean. Like, obviously, you're hired in specific time zones for a specific reason. So it's not like, you know, yeah, I work at nighttime. <laughs> Ignore my merchants during the day. That's not how it works. But, you know, these are things that were agreed. Um, with you know elements of flexibility within it so no look that that's cool so can we talk a little bit to you know managing on the road like you said like you travel um you know you're an american and you like to travel you're in the philippines right now you spend some time in, in europe as well so can you talk to i suppose maybe managing the business while you're traveling on the road yeah i mean i've been uh in over 20 countries the last two and a half years mainly in europe like i'm just a sucker for life in europe i, I know we'll talk about this in a bit but by a absolute stroke of luck and ancient family heritage i now have a spanish passport it's taken me like over two years but but now i'll be splitting time it is gold man i'll be splitting time between california and barcelona full-time um beginning in in early 2019 um but I think the most important thing about managing on the road um, is building a routine that you take with you everywhere you go. And and this routine is is always um, you know, in the works. I'm always constantly improving the way that I wake up, the way I start my day, and what I really do for the next few hours. Um, to me, the way you spend the first 10 minutes is so important in your day. The way you spend the next 30 minutes and then the next two hours is really, really crucial um, in your day. So, you know, I have a, a quick routine I run through in about the first 20 min minutes of the day to get, you know, motivated, focused, ready to go. And then I knock out the most difficult tasks I have to do every day in the first two hours. Um, I also, you know, especially if I'm in Europe, I'm nine hours ahead of my team in some cases in the US. I, I need to exercise too, but I find my mind is sharpest right when the day starts and I just hammer out the most important things. Then I'll go exercise. Then I'll go to a workspace. And again, that's different than what I've done over time, but like you, you really need that, that routine to start your day and, and center your day. And, and even before that, Adam, like, one of the most crucial things in, in my life beyond that, or I should say two, is crafting a mission statement that I wake up to every day that helps me, you know, whether, whether I'm in, whether I'm in Manila or whether I'm in Morocco, that I, I wake up and um, I, I know sort of my personal code that I'm going to live by for that day. And, and the next component is understanding my vision and, and why I like traveling like this and what I want to do with my life and where I want to go. You combine those two and, and play them out over a, a positive morning routine. And, and the time zones don't matter as much. Um, 
Now, when you travel city to city to city every few days, like I am now, um, you know, down here in the Philippines, it drags on you. Like I haven't exercised in a week. I feel awful. Um, you know, my sleeping schedule isn't great because I'm working overnight to sync with U.S. time. Um, but, but to me, if you are in places for a month at a time, two months at a time, a week at a time, um, develop your mission statement, know what your life's all about, create that vision for what you want to do, and then craft a two or three hour morning process around um, you know, those, those pieces that lead to your general mentality. Oh, absolutely. Routine is so important. You know, it definitely is. And, and it helps. And it's, a, it's around creating consistency. You know, at the end of the day, that's what it is. Your routine creates consistency, which then allows you to consistently perform and do your work. Travel, when fast travel definitely throws it off. Like, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's no way, there's no ways around it. And especially if you're doing things like maybe there's some parties, you know, you're talking about Christmas parties, maybe and things like, so the, like, I don't know, may you know, if I drink and then the next day, I'm just not very good. You know, you're not at your best. You know, it's not like, you're, like you say, you wake up you went to the gym you had a coffee you sit down you're just busting out your work you know the morning after parties and your lack of sleep you can be a little bit all over the place and, and you're definitely not in the right mind frame so you know as when you're traveling around so what tools can can you see you know what tools do you, would you use on a day-to-day basis to help you maintain and manage all of this well um you know i think that uh the most important tools are ones that i've built for myself right like um, you know, as, as I said, I, I kind of go through that morning process and set my standards for the day. So, you know, in a, I create a new document every morning or I make a copy of the document the day before, and I lay out my, um, six principles and like the little piece I'm going to accomplish today for each of those things. Um, so that's a, a system I've built myself, a tool I've created myself that, that helps me sort of center, um, and focus my day. Now, if we're talking about physical tools, um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a sucker for the world of Mac. I have a global SIM card, which helps, but, but to, to deviate a little bit here, Adam, away from sort of like the techie tools, you have to understand what is going to make you happy and what is going to make you feel comfortable. And then, and when you're in another country, when life really, really gets hard, what it is you need, because listen, I, this year in Croatia, for very minor issues, I had to go to the hospital twice, and it was not fun. Um, the Croatian medical system is actually incredible and super cheap compared to the U.S., obviously. I mean, we're talking 5% to deal with a couple of these very minor issues. But afterward, you're just, you're just like defeated. You're just done, you know? So one of my tools, and, and this is going to sound very American, you know, one thing I told you is I used to be a sportscaster, a television sportscaster before moving into startups. Um, and, and the satellite company my parents have, um, uh, their television through has an app that is not IP tied that allows you to, to basically access your home television box anywhere in the world. And like when I went to the hospital in September, man, I, I, I didn't feel good. I came home and all I wanted to do was watch some American football, you know? So I turned on the NFL and, and I was happy. So you need to be realistic with yourself about what you need to be able to function well as a knowledge worker. And for me, like I need to be able to watch Laker games, like LeBron's in town. You know, this is something that's really important to me. And okay, if I'm in Spain and Barcelona, I'm the only guy watching Laker games on a DVR. That might be very American and sort of digitally gluttonous of me. But the reality is that I know that's what I need to feel comfortable. Um, so, so, that, so that's one of my like kind of kind of tools and messages that I communicate. Yeah, well, I think it's downtime, you know, like and it's OK to, to log off every now and then and not just be always thinking about work and always 
optimizing and, and you know, try, trying to work on your work, I guess. You know, sometimes you need to just take that downtime, put on the TV, chill out, watch some sports, spend time with friends, you know, and especially when you're on the road, you know, because it's not all it's not all work that we're talking about here. And so when you're in, you know, you spend ex- extensive times in Europe. So as an American, have you struggled with the visa side of things? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... It's definitely a challenge. So um, just to, to provide the background, uh, I'm Jewish and my family are Sephardic Jews, which is Spanish Jews. And about three years ago, the Spanish government passed a law that said, if your family, you ready for this, if your family was expelled during the Inquisition, you can reclaim your Spanish citizenship. Oh my. Um, that. That makes it sound much easier than it was. It's taken two and a half years. I had to pass a history exam. I had to pass a language exam. I have an attorney in Barcelona. Um, I, I had to appear before a notary um, in in Spain as well. And and now I have to, or now I, I get to in January, um, meet be sworn in by the consul general in in um, California. So if you're a Sephardic Jew and you're listening, I would I would certainly think about uh, capitalizing on that. That that, <laughs> but I will be. Um, <laughs> you're laughing. I know. I can. I'm laughing because it's like it's not. It's like, oh yeah, you can have it, but here's all the forty million right. things you have to it do. Was it was hard. <laughs> it was like... hard. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't cheap. Um, luckily, I had the most like amazing and patient attorney in Barcelona, Christian Balsells, and and you know they took good care of me despite my like American need for detail. But until that unfolded, a lot of digital nomads, specifically from the U.S., start out thinking like, start out having wanting to go to Europe for a long period of time. And they have no idea what the Schengen area is, right? Like, Adam, you know what the Schengen area is. But like American digital nomads have no idea what the Schengen area is, which which is basically most of the countries you would think of going in Western Europe, you can stay there 90 out of 180 days combined, um, but no longer. And I wanted to go to Europe for six, seven, eight months. I, I, I told you, I'm just a sucker for Europe. I love life in Europe. I love walking everywhere, not driving a car, cafes, the later lifestyle. Like, I, I just dig it. So- that's why over the past two and a half years, I've spent a lot of time in Croatia because Croatia is outside the Schengen area. You can spend three out of six months in Croatia. Um, you know, I, I've also spent time in Bosnia and Montenegro and Romania, England as well. I was in England for two months this past summer. So um, it is a really, really fascinating and it's, it's created an environment where, yeah, I'm not just living in like Barcelona, Berlin and Amsterdam or something like that. Um, it, it's creating an opportunity... <laughs> It's creating an opportunity to live in these really. I'm just laughing because those are the, those, those are the you know the key areas like you're saying you're you're going a little bit off the beaten well yeah like off the beaten track a little bit outside where people typically are congregating I guess you know and those make some of the most amazing experiences so one thing I would recommend is there there are a lot of really interesting visa programs in Spain specifically like if you're if you're a digital nomad um you know you can spend about two thousand euros a year on a student visa um and then you just don't go to class. Um, there's also a non-lucrative visa where if you have like 30,000 US dollar or 30,000 euros in an investment account or anything, which, you know, sometimes we are given things from parents and grandparents, uh, then you can just live in Spain and and that's that. So the non-lucrative visa is uh, another one that's super popular along with the student visa. It shows you have the funds and the, the ability to support yourself while you're there and you won't be a drain on the economy. And that's why they allow it, uh, especially since the recession where Spain was hit pretty hard. But it's climbing back. The economy is booming again. You know, everything is back to back to as it was in Spain, I feel like, you know, everything's in full swing again. Yeah. And Barcelona is now, I mean, when I first came to Barcelona, uh, 
about two and a half years ago, not, not for the first time, but for the first time during an extended period as a digital nomad, it was, you know, maybe seven to 10 in terms of locations for European startups. And now it's basically third, um, you know, just behind London and Berlin, um, sort of battling it out with Paris for the third spot in Europe because companies are recognizing, wait, I can move, I can start this company with better weather, um, you know, lower average wages for knowledge workers. Why not, why not head South? So, um, it's something we're a migration we're seeing within the EU. Absolutely. And have you ever used any travel companies or anything when you're, you know, when you're traveling to, to help, like you mentioned there, you know, visa programs and things like that. Did you ever work with like, you know, some of these digital nomad travel companies I know have come up? Yeah, I mean, th- thanks. Uh, thanks for asking about that. So I, I never have. Um, I'm, I'm a little too independent and impatient for, um, you know, to have someone to have someone build my travel schedule. Um, for me, but uh, you know, when I was in Croatia, I worked at a workspace called Work in Progress WIP, um, right on the beach in Split, Croatia, and it was owned by Remote Year. And and I think these companies are are really interesting. Again, it's not really like my type of travel, um, but you know, they basically move you from city to city every every month. And you know, I, I the feedback that I I've given them from what I observed is is that sometimes these trips don't do enough to necessarily connect you with local people, right? That you're not building those important relationships with people outside of your traveling group, um, which a lot of those companies mainly travel like Americans, uh, you know, UK, Ireland, Australia, so on and so forth. Like to me, Adam, this is all about like connecting with local people. So that's the feedback I give them. But at the same time, these companies are doing amazing things and helping more people believe that they can live the life that they want to, you know? So uh, it's been really interesting to observe some of these organizations. A couple have actually come through Split and, and, you know, I certainly wish them the best, but anyone who's working and traveling, I challenge you to build your experience around who you're going to get to know that isn't like you. And that's going to teach you more than, than um, you know, it's going to teach you more than, than anything you'd learn at home. Absolutely. So I, I, one of the most recent podcast episodes, I interviewed uh, Laura from La Casita de Laura and she's in Gran Canaria and she teaches Spanish. And a big part of what they do is exactly that where they, you know, people move there for a month, two months and they integrate with the local community, you know, so like you, you have that experience where you, you integrate with, the, you know, you're going to the markets, you're going to evenings and you have dinners and there's all sorts of events that happen, but it's all with the local Spanish people. And it's, it is geared at digital nomads as well. So it's quite a, it's, it's like you're saying, there, there's two different scenarios, you know, but this is the evolution, I guess, of this whole like, I mean, I don't know what you would call it, a movement or something, you know, where it's, well, it's basically just like the ability to work remote and the ability to travel as you work. And like there's companies now that offer experiences like you're talking about in, in Croatia, where you might do four weeks in one place, four weeks in another place. And it's geared towards, you know, keeping in mind that, you know, people who are traveling want to have different experiences, but also that they need dedicated time every day to sit down and, you know, and go away and do the work and not be stuck out in the middle of nowhere with no Wi-Fi, you know. So it's it's creating that hybrid experience, whereas then you have places like in Gran Canaria, which is a big, a very, become a very popular place for, um you know, people who work online and do remote work, but kind of for more extended periods because it's a little bit further out, you know, it's off the African coast and, you know, people tend to stay there for a month or two at a time, but they have a real integrate with the locals slash, 
work online scenario going on even the co-working spaces there's a lot of local companies who work in there so you'll actually be networking with them within the co-working spaces so i i just think it's really cool that like these are two different types you know of of the same thing in, in a way you know what i mean that it's just creating experiences that allow people to to travel and to work as they do so yeah and adam one thing to add to that that i would recommend that's been huge for my experiences is um you know, finding co-working spaces that are non-major brands, you know, uh, like during the Christmas, Christmas period, they always say shop local, you know, we'll find co-work spaces that are owned by locals instead of working at WeWork or Impact Hub or so on. And so like, that would be my recommendation. You should live your life as you want to, but like my, my best relationships with people have come from working in workspaces that are owned by locals. No, that's, that's a fair point, you know, and that's the experiences you've had and you can speak to it. You travel a lot, you work a lot. And it's definitely <laughs> something worth taking on board, you know? So I guess, you know, in, in terms of long-term vision and remote work, you know, what, what, how do you see the future of work? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate you. I really appreciate you, you know, re- reaching out and, and asking that as well. I know it's something we talked about a little bit. Um, before we got on air here. And, and so for me, I mean, taking it a ways back, I I was not even, uh, you know, in business in startups. I was a sportscaster for eight years. I was a TV and radio host in California. I used to broadcast American football on television. Um, what in the U S we call soccer, but I like to call football, obviously like European football, um, so on and so forth. And, and the reality was that, that I really didn't want to live like in Los Angeles where most of my jobs were. So I lived in Santa Barbara, which is like an amazing, more like relaxed beach town. And I would work remotely writing my scripts on our production show calls and then go down and, and host shows. So I, like, I've really been working remotely for 10 years plus. And, and at that time, it was more about convenience um, uh, above all else. But, but now, being able to travel the world this way and being able to connect with the people I have, um, you know, I really see that, that remote work can be a major unifying factor worldwide. And, and I think most people listening to your podcast probably do not harbor too many nationalistic points of view. Um, you know, we all believe in a, a more globalized society. Like if you're interested in being a digital nomad, you, you probably believe, um, you know, in, in a globalized society. And, and, and I certainly, um, you know, I certainly do. The people that I have connected with, the things that they have taught me, it, it's it's absolutely completely changed my life. Um, you know, whether it's the friends I made in the co-work space in Japan, right? Um, whether it was going to spend a week with a good friend and his family um, in Guadalajara, wh- whether it was all the the experiences in Europe, obviously, and and the the amazing network that that I've built there. I, I really think that. Remote work and the digital nomad lifestyle can create that more unified planet. Um, and people will be able to experience cultures. Let me take a step back and say what it really comes down to is, is a core human emotion I think that's underappreciated these days, which is empathy. We don't feel enough empathy. We want to tell our story. We don't want to hear anyone else's story. Um, but, but really empathizing and understanding how those live around the world and um, – utilizing that to understand how good you have it, how great your life is, be a happier person every day. And then also utilizing that to build more constructive relationships to create, um, you know, multinational, we'll call it startups. Maybe there's someone you meet in a workspace in Krakow, Poland, which is one of my favorite nomad stops. Um, and, and you guys come up with a product to work on together or a project to work on together. I mean, to me, that is the direction we are headed. And that is what is so powerful about this lifestyle. 
yeah, it's it's having multiple multiple bit different businesses and people under one roof when you're having those experiences and you're working in co-working places. You meet so many cool and interesting people. You really do. And even that's what this podcast has been. Like my high level overview of what it was is imagine we met at a co-working space and we're going for coffee and we're talking about each other's business. Like that was kind of my, you know, rough first draft of what I wanted this to be like, you know, and a lot of really good, uh, you know, ad- advice and insight there in, in terms of you know, how you see the future of this. I think it's evolved, but it's always evolved. You know, years ago when I started looking into this, it was about eight years ago now. I mean, people thought it was mad. You know, it was still very, still very new, very green. And, you know, you're saying you're doing it 10 years, which, you know, in, in the terms of, in the scale of working remote and, and that sort of lifestyle is pretty long time for a lot of people, you know. But, I mean, there are people who've done who've worked like this kind of beforehand, but now it's become mainstream and a bit more, bit more popular, you know, but I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of different, you know, you're launching a remote work consultant folks on helping businesses and companies adopt remote work. That's not necessarily hiring people in the Philippines. Is it, is it like how to build and manage a remote team? Exactly. It's a company, you know, and so basically what I would say is a company recognizes that they're spending too much on their office, office, that their employees and the people that they tried to recruit want flexibility, that remote work is possible, but they, they just don't know how to do it, right? They, they, they think that, oh yeah, we're just going to send everybody home on Fridays and Wednesdays and they'll be happy. Well, when you do that with people in a normal management model, like they're not going to do anything. They're going to treat it as a vacation day. They're going to watch TV. It's it's going to function a little bit differently. So I've built this methodology called the Rule of Five, and I'll be releasing an ebook that that provides everything you need to know to do this. And you know, if hopefully a lot of people read it, and if companies want to really get hands on with this methodology, then I have a group of consultants who are extremely well versed in remote work that that will help implement this over a six to nine month period. So. Um, you know, I would say, as, as you introduce it to listeners, it's like if, if you're thinking about adopting remote work in your organization, if you want to optimize and build a, a management model more around trust and results, like this is this is what Danny's building. So, Thank you for your your insight into the future of work. It's definitely very fast moving. These things are becoming more and more common, more accepted. And, you know, so long as people don't abuse it, I guess when, it's a different scenario if you are somebody who's experienced as a freelancer and you transition to work and maybe for a remote company or, you know, you maintain your freelancer status. But it's a different scenario when you have, let's say, a company that's already built and you are, you know, maybe considering either hiring remote staff or allowing your current staff to work remote to save on overhead. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, I know you mentioned that you have a business around this called the rule of five. So can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Yeah. Um, so I, I think one of the reasons that remote works adoption is slower than people like you and I think it should be is because uh, companies will give their teams, large teams, a significant opportunity to work from home like Yahoo did. And then Yahoo says, oh, no, this isn't working. Well, I mean, Yahoo's uh, lack of success story is it has a lot more to do with remote work. Um, they just used remote work and sending people home as sort of a scapegoat. IBM did the same thing, right? So there's there's been this um, sort of big company mentality that remote work can't work. And to me, the reason why companies struggle to go from an in-office to remote model is because they're not taking time to build the proper organizational structure, um, an organizational model that is optimized around remote work. So within the rule of five, um, early here in 2019, 
I'll be releasing releasing an ebook uh, on my site, ruleof5.co. And, um, you know, from there, hoping that uh, the C-suite, the people in HR and in operations read this ebook. It's not like a, it's a little bit, bit of a different take, Adam, as well um, on an ebook. It's not like a stiff, um, you know, sort of operational look into how to make remote work work. So I actually, it's part fiction. So I created a sort of old school uh, fake software company in New England, in Boston called Insight Solutions. And Insight is having a lot of problems. Employees are leaving. Weather is a big issue for them. And and they realize they need to cut their operating expenses. And and the the C-suite says, the CEO, Mr. Glengarry, says to the the leadership team, either we're going to, uh, you know, cut about 15% of the team, or we're going to come up with something else. And then kind of the young hotshot CMO says, well, what if we adopt remote work? So the rule of five is basically five principles for adopting remote work, uh, which are building a results-oriented work environment, instituting efficient and effective communication communication practices, adopting the three TRs, which are trust, truth, and transparency, uh, deciding on a change management model and, and determining how to walk your team through this change, and then understanding that that remote work uh, shifting to a remote model happens gradually. Um, and, and I'm currently talking to dealing with a couple companies on this right now, uh, both of whom are San Francisco Bay Area companies who say, we can't afford this rent. And even if we could, we don't want to anymore. Everybody wants to work from home. They don't want to commute into the city anymore. I need to get out of the Bay Area. And and I think that companies, especially companies that are, let's say, 100 or smaller, could pick up this ebook and learn about insight solutions and learn about the rule of five and how it works and say, okay, I can adopt a lot of these things on my own. And you know what? If that happens, Adam, I'll be happy. If companies adopt um, this methodology on their own without needing my consulting group and to walk through all of these operations, I'm, I'm going to be a happy guy. Um, but the reality is that that this is a complex change. And as I talked about with, with a lot of those big global companies, I, I'm not sure that they, at least as far as I've been able to research, that they really had someone who was a, a, an expert in remote work um, they had clearly brilliant minds in operations helping shift to these models, but someone that really knew and understood remote work. Well, Rule of Five has a team of people that do that. And, um, you know, I, I think we're really well positioned to help companies adopt a remote model, especially those in metropolitan areas in the U.S., because we feel your pain. We, we understand it. This is why we work remotely is because we know that we can get more out of our employees, open up that global talent base, improve productivity and not spend money on an office. And, and um, you know, that's kind of the first stage, too, is building the business case. And, and that's the first thing that we like to do is, is talk to a company and say, OK, we're going to show you how you're going to save on overhead, how your recruitment should look, what retention is going to look like, um, and, and what the total savings would be in the end. So, uh, you know, I'm really excited about this. Uh, obviously, Study Soup is, is uh, you know, at the core, just like Shopify is for you, is at the core of what I do. But I basically spend my time, uh, free time on the weekends, nerding out on remote work and working on various remote work tactics and, and helping companies uh, adopt this model, whether it's 100%, whether it's full-time or just part-time. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fascinating project to get involved in and something that I see so much potential for. You know, there's so much potential for that, helping these businesses. I know even in my town, and I know we're not, I live in Ireland, so clearly not metropolitan USA, where I'm sure rents are extortionate. But even where we are, it's the same thing. Like rent is mental. You know what I mean? You want to rent offices. It's huge. And it's just, it's so much money tied up on 
like I'm not going to say nothing because it is important to have an office, but it's it like important. it could be it could be put towards other things to help move the business forward. You know, like that money could be better spent. It could help get that extra person. It could pay for that ad budget. It could help get, you know, like the, it, there's so many other things it could be doing if you were willing to uh, embrace and adopt the remote work mod. You're like, oh, we don't pay, you know, this thousands of dollars on rent every month anymore. Now we can put that towards the product, the service, the team, you know, <laughs> there's other ways that that money could be spent, you know. And that's just it, Adam. But I think that that a lot of companies don't necessarily understand um, you know, exactly the vision that we see, like we see exceptional productivity, right? We see the global workforce that we can work with. We, we see an environment where our employers trust us and we trust the people that we manage as well. But, but a, a CEO, you know, M- Mr. Glengarry at Insight Solutions in New England, for example, old school software company, like he, d- he doesn't see that vision. You know, he, d- he doesn't see that the benefits outside of just lower operating expenses. So, I, you know, I think that's what we, what we can do is we can help you build a vision for what your organization's going to look like when you trust our organization and say, hey, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's shift to a remote model. And again, if every company in the world can go, can have remote options without needing my help, that's fine. <laughs> go for it. Um, I, I just want to see people, you know, as we talked about right when you and I first chatted, I, I want to see the hundreds of millions of knowledge workers be in control of their lives and have the opportunity to work how they want, when they want. And I think companies will be paid back many times over if they start to adopt that mentality. It's amazing. I love it. It's, it's a fabulous business model. And I think a big part of it is, you know, you're bringing experience to the board and that's where maybe these businesses would struggle. They don't have people who've, who've taken that path before who have experience in it. And I think it's probably from an operational level, that's probably one of the biggest hurdles um, for a business to adopt this. Like they maybe don't know how, how does it work? What does it look like? It all sounds great, but they don't understand. And that's where they need somebody who's, you know, an expert and who has done it before to you know, look at what their, how their operation works and be like, look, these are my suggestions. These are the tools you need. These are the softwares. This is how it'll all work. This is how your team stays up to date and on board. And then that makes it real. You know what I mean? Like that's what makes it real as opposed to, all right, that all sounds great. Yeah. And it works for them, but we couldn't do that. It's like, well, have you ever sat down and actually, you know, worked out what it might look like if you were to do it? And then it's not such a big deal when you have somebody who has experience and knowledge in doing it to help you implement it. Yeah, exactly. And and the way I look at this is, and the way that I look at our operation is like, we're fine coming on and having dedicated consultants available and meeting with you, you know, 20 hours a week, but, but also for smaller companies, you know, maybe 15 to 20 people. Sometimes I just talk to CEOs like one hour every two weeks. And, and there are a lot of things, uh, you know, in that size organization that Adam, these things seem so obvious to us because we've been doing this for years, but to them, they're like, oh, wow, I haven't thought that through. And oh, yeah, this is the problem. And I say, well, hey, there's a, there's a pretty easy solution. So, um, you know, I think uh, it, this really can, um, can work for companies of, of any size. And, uh, you know, we're excited to, to really see the rule of five grow in 2019. It's amazing. I wish you, I genuinely wish you every success with it, you know. So- Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Danny, thank you so much for coming on. So why don't you let people know where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, my name is Danny Page, P-A-G-E. You can email me, danny at dannypage.co. Also on that site, dannypage.co is my LinkedIn page. Feel free to add me um, on LinkedIn. Rule of Five.co is the company website. 
Um, beyond that, that's about it. Maybe Instagram at the D page. That's just more like my, my travels and such. Um, but, uh, that's real life. That's real life. That's what it's really like. You know, people like to see that stuff. I like to see that. So, um, I'm, Instagram is anything but real life. Okay. <laughs> like, that's, uh, it's their filtered life. <laughs> Instagram is fake life. So if you want to see my fake life, you know, but no, I mean, if you're interested, if you're a remote worker, and you want to be paid as a consultant, potentially, send me an email, danny at dannypage.co or, or danny at rule5.co. And, um, you know, because we are constantly hiring consultants um, or at least putting you on our roster to be able to, to help us sort of grow this mission. So that's it, man. And, and thank you so much. I think it's really cool what you're doing. I've been listening to the show um, ever since you first contacted me. And, and now I'm a weekly listener. I'm hooked. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. And I appreciate you sharing your wealth of knowledge and insight and experience with all the different people who are listening all over the world. Thank you very much. I'll make sure to link everything in the show notes for anyone who wants to connect with Danny and reach out. Thank you very much. Take care, Danny. All right. See you, Adam. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you found it actionable and inspiring, please be sure to give us a rating on iTunes and share it on your social media profiles. You know, Tag us on Instagram. Um, you know, get the word out there, share it in any Facebook groups that you're in where, where people might be freelancers, remote employees, um, online entrepreneurs, anywhere that you feel and anyone that you feel could benefit from learning from today's insights and, and the story and the journey of this entrepreneur who is on today's podcast. Um, please help get the word out there. And, you know, every rating helps, every every new listener helps. And you know, all we're trying to do here is to inspire people and, you know, share stories to show that it is possible to create that digital nomad lifestyle. And also just, you know, the real nitty gritty of what it actually takes to build an online business, whether that be as a freelancer or as an online business owner. Thank you for listening to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Head over to the website to access the resources and links mentioned in today's episode at digitalnomadcafe.com.